This is the MG Car Club Podcast with Wayne Scott and Adam Sloman. On this episode, we look back on the formation of the MGC register within the MG Car Club and we quiz Classic Car Buyer Newspaper's news editor on the state of the current classic car market. The MG Car Club Podcast. Hello, welcome to another MG Car Club podcast. Hope you're well. Wayne Scott here with you and Adam Sloman speaking from the depths of Kimber House. Hi, Adam. Hello again, Wayne. How you doing, mate? Very good. Thank you very much. As we're into a bit of a mini heat wave in September as we record this at the moment, it's like perfect MG weather out there, isn't it? It is. It's um, it's a proper Indian summer. It's, I thought we'd had the summer, but here we are back again with um, some really nice weather for a few days. So yeah, let's enjoy it while we can. Excellent. Well, we have had some people get in touch via mgpodcast.uk. And the first message, Adam, is from Pietro Tozzi. Uh, I hope I've pronounced your name right there, Pietro. But um, we should set the context for this if you didn't or haven't yet got round to listening to episode 23, where you, Adam, mentioned that someone had talked positively about the podcast to those guys at MG Motor. And basically, we asked or appealed to our listeners to see if it was anyone that could get in touch with us and we had a little prize for them if they could own up and say that it was them by way of thanks well pietro tozzi was the very man and he says i think i was the person who spoke about mg podcasts at the event last friday called smart zero for electric cars i can't remember the guy's name but he works at marylebone with daniel gregorius my name is pietro tozzi and i own an mgf from 1997 and I've just bought my third MG3. And he says he trades me in every two and a half years. Big MG fan. So, Adam, the question is, what are we going to give Pietro by way of thanks? What's his prize for getting in touch? Well, I think first and foremost, we were get in touch with MG Motor and, and validate the claim. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, if, it, if it all proves to be above board, which I'm sure it is, um, I will find a special little something. And um, yeah, I'll let you know next week. Thank you so much for talking positively about this podcast out there in the MG community and for supporting the work that Adam and I do. Really, this is your podcast. We're just here to talk about stuff on your behalf. So it is your podcast. It's your show. Let us know what you like on it, mgpodcast.uk. Use the contact form there and we will deliver what you would like. We're but your servants, dear listeners, and it's all for you. So thank you so much for your support. Uh, seriously we mean that and thank you for listening and for telling everyone about it it's brilliant stuff also we heard from james munro adam and i like these where they start by saying you should have researched better (laughs) oh Um, Oh, yes interesting i shall i shall read james's message about the mgrv8s we were talking about last week he says i just listening to your latest podcast which i do enjoy but i wonder how much research you did about the rv8 some of the detail was interesting. Firstly, at this point, I have to say, we mainly just read what the MG Rover document that we found in the archives of Kimberhouse said. So whether we agree with what they said is really a measure of how they succeeded in marketing that MGRV8. So really, you know, it's, it's, it's fact. But he says some of the detail was interesting, in particular the stuff about MG Rover's attitude to its potential customers. Well, it was really crazy, really, that they didn't want to sell to us mere car club people. Mm. Uh, however, as an RV8 owner since 2011, a couple of statements made me start. Ooh. Good for tall drivers, he questions. I'm five foot eight, and I have the seat far back as it will go. 
How a six foot four chap fits in is a mystery. Well, I fitted in quite well. I've got to tell you, James, honestly. Compare, um, let's put this into context. I'm used to driving much older cars, uh, things like TR2s, midgets, MGBs, stuff like that. And in comparison to them, the RV8, let me tell you, is as spacious as you like. It's like, you know, a limousine in comparison <laughs> in the footwell department. So maybe it's the context to which I'm comparing things. But uh, personally, I find them very comfortable in comparison to earlier cars of course if you're comparing them to my land rover discovery 3 you know it's very cramped but i can only tell you what my comparison is um he also says that the, the driver also sits too high so the top of the windscreen cuts across your line of vision again compared to a midget it's really not a problem <laughs> um, and that's kind of where i'm coming from with my comparison um uh, there's no secret that the Japanese spec cars, as mine is, have air conditioning because that is what the market demanded. Uh, the downside is, for the passenger, reduced leg room so that even those of average height have to bend their legs rather than stretch out. Many UK owners remove the aircon to remedy this. I haven't because it can get pretty hot in there, sitting next to a 3.9 litre engine. You might also have discussed the different engines. Um, so, I mean, we did cover the air conditioning there, I think. Um, yeah. He says uh, about the engines, the MGB V8 used the 3.5-litre engine, whereas the RV8 used the 3.9. Very true. Absolutely correct. Uh, but that was a Buick-derived engine first used in the Range Rover. So I'm afraid the same thing. It is the same engine, James. The 3.9 is the buick derived engine but so is the three and a half liter that buick engine was a three and a half liter uh, rover bought the rights to that buick engine in the very early 1960s um 1965 in fact and when they developed that engine that became the rover v8 um first seen in the rover p5b coupe of course so uh yeah it is the same engine they all started from the base of that three and a half liter v8 that was in those very early rover p5b's and the 3.9's and then even later when the range rover lse's came in the mid 90s with the 4.2's they are based on that same engine uh, the engine that's in my tr8 exactly the same engine that's a 3.9 uh, very similar to what you'd find in an rv8 as well mg so it is the same engine, um, it's just larger in capacity and the extra capacity is gained by a longer stroke and a slightly larger bore in the combustion chambers. That's how they got the 3.9 litre. That kind of fills in that fact I hope for you, James. And lastly, he says, as a long-term owner, I can offer the view that it was a missed opportunity. It was marketed as a luxury car, but it is hard work to drive. There's no power steering and the suspension is unforgiving, to say the least. Now, I've got to say, I actually did go into the handling at some length, didn't I, Adam? But yeah, you actually, did. We actually edited that out of the podcast because I didn't want to be too negative about the MGR V8 because I know how much people love them. Personally, I've driven them, I've tested them for magazines, and I know that they are a, a difficult car to drive handling terms. But going back to that original document and what we uncovered from their original brief for the MGR V8 was that was not ever supposed to be a B-road flat-out sports car. It was supposed to be a tourer, taking you to your timeshare in the south of France. And I think they really did achieve that quite well with the MGR V8. 
So we kind of agree with you in the end, James. In the end, we're all talking about the same stuff, and I think we all kind of agree. Uh, brilliant to hear that you're getting in touch with us here on the podcast so that we can get you on the show and discuss your points of view as well, and you can do the same. mgpodcast.uk, use the contact form if you like. Even better, use the voice recorder on there that will get your voice onto this podcast, onto the show. Uh, and we'd love to hear from you, so do get in touch also get in touch and this is a little bit of an appeal we're launching at the moment please we need your help and we need your help to celebrate our 90th anniversary the mg car club as we've mentioned many times here on the mg car club podcast is in its 90th year in 2020 celebrating of course the very first meeting on october the 12th all the way over there in stevenage at the what was the roebuck inn now, to celebrate our 90th anniversary, next month, we're sharing some of our best and most interesting photos from our archive in Kimber House to our social media channels in what we're calling Nine Decades in Nine Days. And this is where we need your help. This is where you come in, because we want to be able to showcase memorable moments from all decades of MG Car Club and, indeed, MG as a manufacturer's history from the 1930s, 1940s and 1950s in particular. They're the three decades that we're a little bit thin on content for, but if you've got any memories of car club life from throughout the years that you can share with us from any of the years through those nine decades of our history, do please get in touch. You can email them to office at mgcc.co.uk or if you want to scan them or you can post the originals as well to Kimber House, 12 Cemetery Road, Abingdon, Oxfordshire, OX141AS. That's the postal address. We'll endeavour our best to get them back to you, of course. Um, we'd just really like to see from you some of your memories, maybe some photos that have been handed down through generations of your family, maybe photos that you've picked up at an auto jumble somewhere or something that you've stumbled across on the internet that, uh, that you've found that maybe no one else has found yet or no one else has seen. We'd like to hear from you. Get in touch, please. Office at mgcc.co.uk is the place to send them to. And I, Adam, am looking forward to seeing what comes through. Yeah, I mean, I, for me, I, we've seen, you know, we know the iconic photos of, of different car club events. But yeah, I think it'd be really exciting to see those centre and register events that perhaps, you know, your dad took 25, 30 years ago or, you know, the first time your mum and dad met at some random car club event or maybe you trialled a car, maybe you did a, a hill climb or a sprint or an auto test or an auto solo it could be any random photo, you know, maybe a member dressed up as Father Christmas at a, at a, at a Christmas dinner or something like that. Any, any random photos or stories to go with them that really sort of bring across uh, the 90 years that the, the club has, has shared with so many people, not only in the UK, but around the world. Absolutely. Well, uh, we looked forward to seeing what you've got for us. Of course, we've already been seeing so many of your amazing photos via our photo contest, which uh, goes to judging very soon, Adam. Uh, we have to assemble our panel of judges to run through those images. At the moment, we're just leaving them online for people to enjoy and browse through as part of our virtual MG show that's running. But very soon, we'll be giving you news on how we'll be judging those photos and finding our winners as well. It's going to be the hardest job ever, I think, to uh, judge and award winners for those pictures. But um, for now, we'd like to hear from you then if you have pictures 
all memories from the nine decades of the 90 years of the MG Car Club get in touch. Well, one thing that we have tried to avoid talking too much about here on the MG Car Club podcast, well, basically because it's boring and depressing and we're all sick of it, and that is COVID-19 and the pandemic. But, Adam, the problems continue, sadly, and just as we thought we were going to be easing restrictions and maybe even talking to some of our centres and local regions about some of the natters they'd been running and local events... Then things got worse here in the UK, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, we now have a new phrase linked to the pandemic. It's called the rule of six, and it now applies to social gatherings across the UK. And basically, it has put the brakes on all of our easing of restrictions on local group meets and basically small gatherings of MG fans, hasn't it? Yeah, I mean, the the problem we have is that... um you know, groups of six are now not supposed to to come together. That does have an impact on the social side of the club. Um, there's no two ways about it. Um, it's yeah, it is a big setback for us. To anyone listening who thinks perhaps what they've read from the MG Car Club guidance is kind of draconian or it's preventative on people having fun, believe me, no one wants to see events happen more than us lot at Kimber House. Everyone is just gagging to get out and do stuff once again, aren't we? You know, um, yeah. this is this is not us trying to stop things that really need to be happening, but ultimately we all have to be responsible, socially responsible, and we, as a car club, have to make sure our volunteers are protected, but also just the sheer headache of the what the restrictions have made for people organising events, and it is a real complex headache, isn't it? Yeah, there's so many facets to it, and I mean, we we spoke um, a couple of episodes ago about our plans for the 90th anniversary event at Gaydon um, at the British Motor Museum. Now we chose Gaydon as the venue for our 90th celebration because it is a fully COVID compliant venue. Um, and there's a hell of a lot of work that goes into being fully COVID compliant. Um, and we we needed um, someone to, to lean on to help us with that support. Um, and at the end of the day, it's about safety. It's about keeping all our members as safe as possible because God forbid someone goes to, to a pub meet or, or a small scale event um, that and then they become ill or, or someone uh, steps in and reports the event. You know, we've seen um, motorcycle events broken up when guys are just stood in a car park, just having, you know, socially distanced in a public area, but the police deem it to be an event. Um, I saw a, a news story uh, just this week where a student um, basically inadvertently organised um what was seen as a social gathering um he's been fined ten thousand pounds you know there are there are a lot of risks to this and there's a lot of responsibility being placed on all our shoulders when a huge number of us live our day-to-day lives without really thinking about the rules without really thinking about the law of the land and this rule of six really does change that again um yeah it's like you said it's not something we've wanted to speak about on the podcast and we try and entertain all of you and we try and have fun and we try and share the passion that that certainly Wayne and I have and everyone else in the car club and the MG community has for our favorite mark um but we did feel it was important just to take a moment to stop and talk about the changes here in the UK and what that means for all of us 
And as ever, of course, we're trying to keep you up to date uh, with our guidance and our advice and our interpretation of the rules. What we've done is gone through and copied and pasted, in effect, the government guidance and stripped out the bits that aren't relevant to car clubs, left the bits that are, and put them into the context of our club activities and put them online for you. They are available to read now, as they have been since the very start of this craziness, on the MG Car Club website at mgcc.co.uk. You can see the MG Car Club and coronavirus latest updates and guidance article there, last updated 14th of September 2020. By the time you listen to this podcast, probably all changed again and been re-updated again, but uh, we do regularly update them as soon as anything changes we change that page so do keep checking back to it and making sure that what you understand to be true is still indeed true and we will endeavor as normal to keep you as in the loop and as up to date as we possibly can here at the mg car club together we'll stand firm and we'll get through it by supporting each other and you know use the tools that are out there zoom and whatsapp great tools for getting together with your mates and chatting about mgs and of course we are hearing about some socially distanced road runs that are happening in such a way to prevent gatherings at the start and finish of events and you can basically download um you know routes and stuff and and uh, go and enjoy your cars without having to gather and congregate in big groups and that's really what it's all about stopping people having to congregate and risk the spread of this nasty virus that we're trying to rid ourselves of at the moment mgcc.co.uk for all the latest guidance from us but lately on more positive and interesting things we have been digging about in the mg car club archives once again down in Kimber House, and Adam, you've been down there with your head torch and your canary. <laughs> what, what have you dug out this week for us? So I've repelled down into the archive again uh, this week, and I have pulled out a copy of Safety Fast Ooh. from August 1975. So uh, what's that, 45 years ago, uh, just last month, um, which celebrates um, the creation of another register within the MG Car Club. Amazing. So yeah, so uh, this uh, article was written by Richard Cox and Tony Brooks, uh, who were pleased to share with the membership that the MGC register has now been officially recognised by the MG Car Club and has taken its place alongside the existing registers within the club. Ooh, nice. Six cylinder boys. Indeed, indeed. So um, it starts off by saying that uh, work has already commenced to locate and maintain information on available second-hand spares um, because uh, British Leyland by this point had cut production of a lot of uh, C-type spares because the the MGC obviously didn't sell in in huge numbers. 9,000 of them, to be precise. Yes. In fact, sorry, 9,002, actually. Uh, if my friend Graham Robson was listening to this, he would be <laughs> humming at me, saying, <laughs> "I think you're finding." Yes, nine thousand and two, uh, because the two are the two um, prototypes. I think yes. Yes. So uh, yeah, nine thousand and two were made and launched, of course, at the Old Court Mode Show in nineteen sixty-seven. Yes, and uh, a bit of a bit of a maligned car when it launched. Um, I understand that, um, and this may be an urban legend. Again, I'm sure. Um, I know Mike Horton is a regular listener. And Mike's got um, a lovely MGC. I understand at the time that the um, the tire pressures on the test cars that the journalists were given were incorrect 
which made the cars sort of really quite heavy at the front. Um, and they, that, that was what led to that sort of negative response from, um, from the press. Um, but it says here that um, for several months or years, opinion has been expressed that space should be reserved for this ill-fated modern MG. But even with our own club group, seem to have divided themselves between those who follow popular press criticism at the car's inception, or on the other hand, those who have owned one MGC or another. Uh, the former group can largely be dismissed as being content to reiterate the ramblings of prejudiced and misguided journalists who did, however, succeed in ensuring a short, unhappy life for the model. I use the word misguided because I think the press at the time were insistent on comparing the C with the car it was in some ways replacing, the Austin Healey 3000. Admittedly, it did share the same basic power unit, but I believe the MGC was intended for a different kind of motoring, which I think is very true. The, the C was, you know, a proper, um, a bit like the RV8, a proper Grand Tourer, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right. I mean, it was heavy at the front. Um, it's over 200 pounds heavier at the front because that's how much more that engine weighed than the standard four-cylinder engine. But, yeah, I mean, it, you know, it's a, it's a different beast and a different market. And, of course, they were sold concurrently alongside the MGB. They never replaced the MGB. So, yeah, never really understood why people were so cross about it, really. Um, yeah, strange one. I mean, it says here that it's the same Austin Healey 3000 engine, of course, Although it did look like it, there are some significant differences. It's a seven-bearing crank, for example, not a five-bearing crank. Um, so they did develop it some way ready for the MGC. And, of course, Donald Healy famously refused to put his name to the prototypes because he disagreed with the badge engineering that was going on between the uh, two concept cars at the time, unfortunately. And, uh, yeah, never did put his name to it in the end, despite them upgrading it to try and make him happy. Amazing that he had so much sway over uh, the company at the time. But launched it was in 1967, to mix reviews but as ever the mg car club they're at the forefront and i love the fact that it calls it a modern mg reading yeah. that through today's eyes isn't that brilliant yeah it um, is brilliant but you know mg car club despite the critics of a model so many parallels to what we have today with the modern mgs as well despite the critics went and supported those owners and it's fair to say that mgcs are highly regarded classics now i would suggest and actually worth quite a lot of money uh, which would reflect the fact that they are quite sought after now yeah definitely i mean the c register are are an amazing group of guys um back in 2017 they did an amazing amount of work to to celebrate the anniversary um barry and Ginny cartmel who were the um who were sort of leading the register at the time um together with the rest of the register put on an amazing event at chateau impney um sadly now closed of course chateau impney um and they had an amazing array of cars they had prince charles's um mgcgt there which is a car that um, our friends in china are always very excited about because the idea of a, a british royal owning an mg is something that they really really get excited about but um yeah the c is a is a car that has always sort of stuck out in my memory because and this will make you laugh when i was a child i remember seeing an article in a magazine about a british racing green cgt um, and that CGT, I think, might have been a University Motors car um, because it had square headlamps. 
And as a child, <laughs> I was convinced that the difference between an MGB, because you've got to remember my dad had an MGB and an MGB GT, uh, the BGT that I've still got today. I thought the difference between an MGC and an MGB was the fact that the MGC had square headlights. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you were a poor misguided child, weren't you? Adam? I was, I was. Yes. Um, yeah, but to be fair, you know, how often did you see MGCs uh, in the 80s and how often do you see them now? You know, they well, are rare, rare beasts. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely right. I mean, I can't understand why... They came in for such a kick-in, really, from the press. It's a funny one, really. Here you've got the MGB, which, let's face it, everyone loves. And if they don't, they do really. They just don't want to admit to it. And you've offered them a three-litre straight-six version. I mean, what's not to love? I appreciate there's understeer introduced from the heavier engine and maybe it unbalanced the handling a little bit over the MGB. I accept all of that, but... You know, we're not all Sterling Moss, as they would have said in the 1960s when this was launched. <laughs> and, oh, the sound of them alone would be enough to sell it for me. I really don't get it. I think they're superb cars. And, I mean, come on, look at the bulge on that bonnet. I mean, yeah. oh, come on. And then you take some, it a step further and you look at those Sebring cars, you know, um, yeah. RMO and, and MBL. And I, I've been fortunate enough to, to have sat in uh, RMO um i've no, never had the chance to drive it uh, but um those two sebring cars are just stunning stunning cars mm. um and my son james um at the last mg live um was lucky enough that uh, dave saunders who owns um rmo brought rmo up to to mg live for us james who at the time could only have been five uh got to sit behind the wheel and he just thought he was it and that's what that's what mg is all about and that's what the car club is all about and it is getting opportunities to see these amazing cars anything with a big bulge on its bonnet gets me interested adam sloman i'm up for that that's lovely i love them mgc's fantastic and let's not forget what they were up against in 1967 Yes, the Austin Healey 3000 had been uh, discontinued by this time, but lurking over there in the depths of standard Triumph, what was, was a brand new Triumph TR that was arriving on the market. Not only did it have fuel injection, but it had a 150 brake horsepower straight six. This was what MG were trying to answer. This was what they were up against, and they knew they had to come up with something to counteract that Triumph TR5 that was launched in exactly the same year, 1967. And the power output from an MGC, not far off a TR5, actually, 145 brake from an MGC, you know, which was 50% more power than an MGB four-cylinder. I mean, come on, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a big increase. And, of course, an all-new full synchro gearbox that came with the MGC as well that was eventually shared with the Mark II MGB launched in the same year. So you had the option of the four-cylinder. This just added some extra fun for your MG owner then, an extra option. Um, fantastic. Why knock it? Love the MGC. And thank goodness the MG Car Club were there with the foresight in August 1975 to launch the register to ensure those cars survived and were enjoyed and we can all appreciate them still today on the roads. Brilliant. Nice piece there, Definitely. Adam. Definitely. Definitely. I just know, though, that um, while hairy-chested men like yourselves would have been screeching around 
um, in an MGC, I'd have been bimbling along behind you in my MG 1100. At least you'd be carrying the picnic hamper for you. Absolutely. <laughs> MG Car Club Podcast. The MG Car Club, the mark of friendship. To take advantage of our many membership benefits, access to our centres and registers, and to receive your copy of Safety Fast magazine, join us now at mgcc.go.uk. Sharing your passion for MG on the MG Car Club podcast. Well, now on the MG Car Club podcast, we welcome back a familiar name to some at the MG Car Club. We speak now, of course, to the Features Editor at uh, Classic Car Buyer Newspaper. Welcome to the podcast, Jeff Ruggles. Thank you for having me. Hiya, Jeff. It's good to have you on, actually. It's good to have you back in uh, MG Car Club circles for a change. Yes, yes. I do miss it. I have to be honest. <laughs> I, I do miss being a part of the club. It was, a, it was a very fun time, however brief it was. Well, we miss you as well, but of course you've gone on to uh, brighter things, and that is the Features Editor at Classic Car Buyer and... You were previously news editor on the paper as well, and of course an MG yep. fanatic. Uh, we'll talk about your car <laughs> collection in just a moment, but let's just talk about the world that we're in at the moment. And as news editor of Classic Car Buyer, you must have seen all sorts of different changes in the market over the last year or so as things adapt and change to deal with the pandemic situation we find ourselves in what's been the headlines that have really struck you over the last few months well at first we thought you know doom and gloom i was really really worried for the for the market as a whole really i thought you know who's going to be buying classics and you know what's going to happen to auction houses what's going to happen to the dealers and all that sort of thing but um you know one of the few things that people have been able to do in lockdown is enjoy classic cars. They've been able to work on them. And we've seen from the likes of British Motor Heritage and things like that, you know, they've, they've sold so many panels that they just weren't expecting. Probably, I think I was told it was a year's worth in three months or something like that. So that was, that's incredible for them. So some of the aftermarket really benefited. But, uh, you know, the other thing we can do is drive them. So people have been keen to buy something to work on or buy something to enjoy. And so actually, what really looked bad for the market has been a boost in a, in a very strange sort of way. I mean, we've got auction houses, for instance. I mean, you've got uh, the likes of Matheson's up in Yorkshire. They're having the biggest sales they've ever had. You've got Anglia Car Auctions having two-day sales when they used to have one. SWVA down on the south coast, 99% sale rate, that sort of thing. You know, we're all sort of falling over each other to, to buy good cars. And uh, and that's only been a benefit for everyone involved. It does seem that those cars that are doing well at auction at the moment, though, seem to be the kind of enthusiast cars, the affordable classics. That seems to have been, from the outside at least, where the most growth has been. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, it's. I think um, I'd say a couple of years ago, it's sort of the common thesis is that uh, the investors dropped out of the game because they were they weren't getting the returns on it, and it made the market real again. And that, that was, lots of people spoke of a market correction. So all the things that had skyrocketed up, you know, 911s, SL Pagodas and things like that, they, they sort of leveled off a little bit. And, the, and it was back to genuine enthusiasts buying things. And of course, it's, it's a kind of a weird, I suppose you've got a weird um, dichotomy in a way, because you've got people who, can, who want to buy classics and enjoy classics. But of course, incomes have probably softened off a little bit while people haven't been able to work and things like that. So affordable classics is where it's at i mean 
the, the boost has been for affordable classics because that's the area that everyone wants to shop in. And of course, MGs fit into that brilliantly. So you can see that that's a great thing for the likes of the MG Car Club because it will boost that that market has been very very strong. Absolutely, and in particular, we've seen some real record breaking sales in terms of MG, haven't we? We've seen some even some of the rubber bumpered MGBs that have been sort of much maligned over time have started to see values rise. Well, it's a funny thing. MGBs have always been quite difficult to price because there's a lot of choice out there. So they've always. <laughs> Good examples have always done well, but you, you can still, they're still an affordable classic, a bit like a Morris Minor, in that you haven't seen, like a Ford Pre has absolutely rocketed. Uh, and an MGB has been a more gradual rise, still affordable examples around, and you can spend 20,000, 20,000 plus on one if you like. But the, the rubber bumper was always the slightly maligned way in, um, unfairly in my opinion, because they're a really good car, but that was the way in. But now... And um, we've seen at ACA, I think it was, there was a very low mileage, last of the line car, over £15,000, uh, a very small, uh, a, a tiny miles LE, even more, I think, £16,500, £17,000. So, you know, these cars are really starting to catch the curve and, and be appreciated. And uh, it's not before time, really, for the, for the rubber bumper cars, but then we did that all along, really. Absolutely. And, and of course, we've seen some really interest in the newer MGs as well, actually, haven't we? And especially with the Zs, they're starting to come to the market and pass through auctions. And also MGR V8s and some of the newer models are really starting to build momentum now. The one that surprised me, um, and I don't want to bang the drum just because I happen to have one in the garage, is the MG Metro. And not the Turbo. I mean, the Turbo's the prices have been high for turbos for, for a long time now, but the, the sort of humbler MG Metro 1300, they're really hot property at the moment. I mean, we've seen 5,000 plus at auction on a regular basis now in the last couple of months. And uh, it's, it's been one of those sort of classic car mag favorites, you know, the big riser and it's been the MG Metro. And as you say, with the Z cars coming to the fore and everything else like that, that yeah, it, it's, it's a, an effect, a domino effect will push the whole, the whole octagon range up and that can only be a good thing i mean like I say there are still accessible mgs for people to buy but uh, the cars that were once a little bit maligned perhaps are becoming appreciated and the best thing is the higher the value they get the more effort people will go into saving them and restoring them rather than just scrapping them as sort of worthless old bangers as it were as a lot of them have suffered from well it does yeah and it's a funny thing sort of the classic car market because the, the nostalgia moves on as you would expect it to do so as we as we as the scene gets younger or the demographic changes our nostalgia moves forward with it so you know these, these 80s 90s and 2000s cars are just becoming more and more appreciated by the people that remember them first time round i mean there was insurance deals i think on the on the zr for instance which meant that sort of 20 years ago that you, you could buy a, a 105 or something like that and a really good deal if you were quite young and now sort of 20 years on we can remember that and appreciate it and think, oh, you know, I'd like to relive those years and I'll, I'll go and buy a ZR again. And that's what's happened with a lot of the cars. And it's just this appreciation. You've got the MG Maestro, for instance, you know. Try and find a, a cheap MG Maestro now. It's just not possible. Or, or even a Metro, you know. It's, it's getting so much more difficult, which is just a measure of how much more people want them. Outside, of course, then the obvious changes in the auction market that we've seen 
you obviously talk a lot to restoration companies and other people within the business. How are they finding this? Are they seeing the same ability to survive that the auction houses are seeing? Or is life a little bit tougher on the receiving end of the cars that need the maintenance, so to speak? Well, I think there's a certain inevitability that it would have been. It was tough because a lot of people had simply had to shut their doors. You know, they, they couldn't operate in a safe manner. And so maybe the, the sort of one-man bands had it a little bit easier. They could go to work and not have to mix with anyone. Um, so if you, that hasn't changed in the sense of how they could restore cars. But yeah, I think it's more difficult. There, there's, there's more waiting lists and things like that. The businesses that are, are thriving are still thriving. You know, the, uh, the waiting, like I say, the waiting lists, extending years into the future, the problem, the, problem, the problem they've had is with supply. You know, it, everyone's been buying restoration parts and service parts, so that's where things have been held up, perhaps. And things like, uh, you know, your powder coat is down the road not being open, whereas before, you know, you could just whip down there, get, get your subframes or your radius arms done, and that was it. But that's become more difficult. So there has obviously been hurdles thrown in. But again, it's been quite resilient, surprisingly resilient, um, for the aftermarket, the, the aftermarket firms that have been helping to cater for the restoration companies, you know, they've been doing good business. Um, some of them have really been incredible how they've split their shifts, had people working, you know, through the night to package things and all the rest of it. And you just think, wow, these, these guys have, you know, whether that's more profitable for them, I, I, I couldn't tell you, but I know they're obviously putting a lot of effort in to make it happen for all the people that want to restore their cars because it's become this sort of leisure pastime for people working at home and, and the same for garages. You know, they've needed these parts and people have worked so hard behind the scenes to make it happen that uh, you know, it's, it's proved how resilient and how well everyone seems to work together. So far, as you say, people seem to have remained busy. It seemed to have remained buoyant and uh, there is some positivity out there. It's not been a year, though, without some controversy because despite the fact that a pandemic has been going on, the legislation and changes to what we have to face on the roads uh, moves forward at all times. Of course, we've seen some really big stories this year, haven't we, with E10 fuels, for example, being introduced. Uh, there was a threat of a scrappage scheme for a time and also some of the delays at DVLA that have caused uh, some of those MOT exempt cars to have to wait for getting their paperwork back. There's been some quite meaty well, yeah. stories for you to cover, hasn't there? Well, yeah, I mean, I think the DVLA thing is, is, has been interesting because uh, any any paper application has been held up, so buying and selling cars has been difficult because of getting paperwork. And and as you as you said, the MOT exemption and waiting for tax exemption and things like that sort of thing have held people up. I mean. It's been funny with the with the legislation for things like emission zones because a lot of them have been put on hold. Um, the, the London ULEZ obviously was was cancelled for a while and is now back and and more expensive. I thought, well, the congestion charge is more expensive, um, so that's that started up. But a lot of the schemes that we saw for the likes of Bristol and things like that aren't happening for now. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with that. That's something I'll be keeping a very close eye on. Um, but uh, the freedom. It's, it's perhaps n not a bad thing in many ways that uh, people aren't going to be working five days in the office in the near future. And that may open the door for them to be able to sort of go in one, two days a week and use a classic to do it. Because the, the, the impact on the environment of using that classic one day a week 
I mean, I, I know that's something you've always sort of championed is that the impact of classics on the environment is, is quite low if managed sensibly. And uh, we are perhaps in a better position to be able to manage how we use classic cars. But in a, in a strange sort of way, by, by limiting that use, we may see more of them in our, in our town and city centres, which, in my opinion, would be nice. You know, it would be a good thing to, to see those cars rather than being, you know, the, the monotonous five-day-a-week, sat on the train, sat in, a, sat in a, you know, company car. It might open it up a bit. Yeah, indeed. I mean, to take a real optimistic view of it, if we can reduce the amount of traffic on our roads at peak times for those rush hour periods in the morning and in the evening, it basically takes all of the pressure off the environment that's having to deal with that extra moment in the day when it's most polluting on the roads. And that might just take the pressure off all of us uh, in our uh, carbon footprints. Yeah, exactly. And and there's, I think everyone's having to realise that we have to be more flexible now. So if there's staggered hours where, you know, sort of a, a staggered rush hour almost, where people are arriving at work at different times if they do have to go into the office or do have to go to a place of work, which I appreciate that a lot of people will still have to do, we'll hopefully cut down this rush hour. Um, I don't know how well that's come to fruition at the moment because I've been stuck in traffic a few mornings, but we'll see. You know, th- things are looking a little bit better than... Uh, better than they were for sure before Mm. the pandemic in that respect well one thing that has been hit hard and we've definitely seen the difference in your paper we've seen the difference here in the mg car club everyone's noticed the differences of course events have taken the brunt of it haven't they and it must have been heartbreaking for you to have had to cover so many cancellations over the last few months and then, of course, also that leaves you a gap in the paper as to what you can cover and report on. It's uh, challenging all of us at the minute, isn't it? It does. I mean, if I have to start another article with the words due to the COVID-19 pandemic in it, you know, I think I'll scream. You know? <laughs> it's got to that level. But that is the, the, the one big negativity that's obviously apart from people who have sadly suffered with the pandemic you know, firsthand. But uh, the knock-on effect on the events industry has obviously been massive, especially for those third party events organizers that can't, that, that, that organize at a venue, you know, that can't manage the, the requirements of holding an event and can't take a hit to their, to their revenues. I mean, there's a lot of mouths to feed in that industry and it's, it's very, very sad that it hasn't been able to, to happen really at all this year in many ways. You know, we've seen so many cancellations. We've seen, I remember early on when it started with the Geneva Motor Show and then we were thinking, oh, you know, we can get a Techno Classica. Oh, no, we can't. And then there was postponements, but then those postponements became full-on cancellations. We've just seen Regent Street has now gone. Um, and, and events that have had to be held, you know, they've done a great job in, in many events that have been held, but it's been, it's been very, very tough. Very, very tough. Our, our own uh, sort of Kelsey Media calendar has has basically gone for this year. I mean, we've got our fingers crossed that, you know, we can resume that next year. Um, MG Live, of course, and so many other events. You know, it's it's been really, really tough. And it, like you say, it has given us that, what do we write about? You know, what, what do we write about socially? And the clubs that have managed to step forward and keep each other going with sort of quizzes, Zoom calls, and all that sort of thing, podcasts like this, you know, it's um, it's been vital, really, to keep everyone in touch we can only sort of cross our fingers that it'll it'll all come back for for next summer but uh that's something we'll obviously have to have to wait and see 
Indeed. Well, there's been some real big events lost this year, and when you see Silverstone Classic and the likes of Goodwood Revival cancelled, you know you're in something completely unprecedented, don't you? And uh, that's, well, that's yeah. been the case. Um, but, uh, of course, Jeff, outside of being news hound for Classic Car Buyer, uh, you are, of course, a car enthusiast like the rest of us poor chaps on this podcast and uh, an yeah, MG yeah. man as well. So talk us through your own sort of journey in cars. Where did the interest stem from originally? Uh, well, do you know what? I, my, my dad had, you know, he just used to sort of turn up with a succession of old bangers, really. And um, so my... Our car ambitions are always quite modest, you know. We'd, he'd turn up, he'd turn up with sort of Mark II Capris that he bought for three hundred quid and things like that, and, and old minis, and and that's really where it started. I, I just became really, really interested in things like that. Um, interestingly, he he did come home with an MG Maestro once, so that was that was quite a nice, a nice car. And so I had an early affection for the Octagon, but sort of in a in hatchback form, shall we say. Um, and, you know, he, he was a keen classic car enthusiast. He he read all the magazines and things like that. So subsequently, I read all the magazines. And I, I remember writing to uh, a classic car magazine when I was eight. It got published. So I guess you could say that was my first published work. Um, and then, you know, I just became a classic car obsessive, really. I got my first car when I was 15, a classic Mini. I haven't been without one since. Usually up to around 10 of them. Um, and it was always a bit of a joke at the uh, at the MG Car Club of how classic mini obsessed I was. But of course, it's all the same family. So when it came to recognising, you know, 1970s MG midget colours and MGB colours, I was I was right up there. <laughs> so that was good. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I've went to uni. I still had cars at uni, and 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 over the years, I've just kept collecting. I'm not very good at selling cars. I'm good at buying them. Or good at buying bad ones keeping them for a long time and then slowly getting around to restoring them so we're at the stage now where i've got um several classic minis on the road an innocenti mini that i uh, bought in uh, italy and drove home um and i've got uh, the car that i bought when i joined the club uh, an mg metro which uh, uh general manager adam was good enough to drive me to go and collect i still got it uh it's uh in the process, shall we say, of being uh, being restored, parts are being collected. I, I bought some wheels for it, but they're in the middle of France, so uh, slightly impractical at the moment. It is time to go and pick them up. Um, so I've got another set of wheels to pick up for it for for it tomorrow. Actually, yes, it's a story we can all relate to. Many bits yeah. flying in from all over the place. Well, that's um, it, you know. And I, I'm really looking forward to getting that on the road because it it would be nice. I had it at MG Live uh, 2018, but it was a it's a it's a nice car, but it's not in perfect condition, shall we say? It could do with a, a bit of panel replacement. So I've been collecting panels because they're not the easiest to find for a metro. And uh, yeah, looking to get that sorted, hopefully in the next year. MG Live uh, 2021 would be nice if I could have it there. Well, there you go. And you've made that promise now, Jeff, so we expect no, to see it there. You can't hold me to that. <laughs> it's on recording Can now. Everyone's listening. <laughs> <laughs> or, or, or I could just uh, buy an MGF. We've got one on the fleet at work, actually. Uh, a colleague of mine who's a member of the club, he's, he's bought an MGF, uh, a VVC, and he's enjoying track days with it and that sort of thing. And he's getting the most out of it. So that's been quite inspiring. And, uh, you know, and, and of course, from when I was at Kimber House, uh, 
the likes of Andy had MGFs in the car park, and it was always like, hmm, do quite fancy one. And they're a bargain, let's be honest. They are, absolutely. They're an bargain. Absolutely. You we've, know, so... We've said a lot about MGFs on the previous episodes of this podcast, so just how... Um, how much of a bargain they are and of course in their 25th year now is the time to buy one because they now start to become bona fide classics and they already had a massive following but um, I have feel yeah. like the MGF's day is just around the corner well especially as you can you'll now be able to import them into the United States so you know that's surely got to be a boost for them yeah absolutely and of course having a passion for cars is all right but in order to make that jump to earning a living from writing about them is quite a challenge so tell us about those early steps into being a motoring journalist because you ended up eventually (laughs) as editor of mini magazine didn't you i did yes yeah well well, uh, as i may have alluded to mini is definitely my passion um and uh, yeah, it was quite quite weird because I always thought of uh, like people will tell you different, uh, no doubt. But I always thought of myself as quite academic, you know, university and all that sort of thing. But I just wanted to work with cars, and um, I thought, thought, well, how can I, I? I love writing, you know. How can I combine those two those two passions? And motoring journalism was the obvious was the obvious route. So um, I did work experience on a couple of local papers back in Suffolk where I'm from and then I just uh went to a mini in the park which was uh the big mini show uh owned or run by mini magazine's publisher at the time and I said you know can I can I come doing some work experience so I've just enrolled on a, on a post-grad journalism course you know can I come do a couple of weeks see how we get on and uh I never left so <laughs> that was that was nice so I moved Lockstock down to Bath uh, which is where it was based at the time, and um, I'm still in Southwest now. So, you know, it's uh, I started as basically the the sort of staff writer, in-house writer, and progressed to features editor, then editor, and then I did that for eight years. But then I fancied a change, you know, and, and that's why I ended up at Kimber House. I guess that's one of the top tips you could give to anyone listening to this who fancies following the same route is that initially at least you do have to do a lot of working for free offering your time to gain experience don't you yeah absolutely and, and it's a it's a changing industry all the time so it, it was very very straightforward i was a writer i did a bit of photography back in back in the day but now um with with classic car buyer and, and our sister website classics world we're doing a lot of youtube content we're doing all sort of you know podcasts we're doing we're doing things that are different yeah, it's a, there's a lot more strings to the bow than there ever was and uh, to, to, to appeal to all different kinds of media. So, um, And it's great, actually. It gives you a lot more scope for being creative. We'll finish up by getting out your crystal ball, Jeff Ruggles, because oh, God. <laughs> let's have a little look forward to what we might be talking about this time next year. It was impossible to predict that all this was going to happen this time well, last yeah. year. But how do you think things are going to play out within the classic car world? Are we, in your view, going to see a resurgence in events and a buoyancy in the classic car market? Do you have good confidence for the future or do you think the worst is yet to come for us? I have good confidence, actually, because um, earlier this month I was at the British Motor Museum for the BMC and Leyland Day, which was combined with the Metro Mini Show. And it was a lot of... So it was a very good multi-mark event, and it was within reason, of course. I mean, they had to they had to limit the amount of people that could be there. 
but it was buoyant and people were so happy to be back out again really really happy and 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 now that we've got the rule of six and things like that i think that confidence is it's possibly drained from people a little bit but back earlier this month when when things were looking good everyone was so so happy to be out and i think if we can get past the pandemic in the best way we can then you know the the, the almost there's sort of a pent-up need to be back out and socializing with your friends talking about cars people really really want to be back out there again and I can see that if we can, if we, if we can, and if we're allowed to, then shows are going to be buoyant again. Yes, okay, we're going to, we're going to, we can't deny that th- things are going to be affected, and unfortunately, some shows may not resume again. But the ones that do, I think they're going to, they're going to be great successes, and I really hope so. Well, wise words, I think, Jeff, and that's given us all a little bit of hope as we go towards twenty twenty one. And of course, you'll keep us up to date with developments as they happen in Classic Car Buyer, available from all good stores. And uh, yeah. great to see some great content coming through that newspaper in recent times as well. So, uh, congratulations to you and your team working through. The most challenging conditions ever a journalist could face, I should think. And uh, it's great to have you here on the MG Car Club podcast as well. Jeff Ruggles, thanks very much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. The MG Car Club podcast. Safety Fast, the magazine of the MG Car Club. Get your copy now by joining us at mgcc.co.uk. So, Adam, uh, another look through the merchandise of the MG Car Club shop before we leave you for another episode of the MG Car Club podcast. I have to ask you, there was only 251 limited edition anniversary grill badges ever made. They were all numbered in their individual boxes. Have we sold out yet? I think there might be one or two remaining, but I think they are largely sold out. Yeah, so I think they're all gone. Okay. Um, so if you still want one you may well be the lucky person to get the very last one Um, they are still as we record this showing as in stock on the shop but that could change any day now so if you want one don't delay shop.mgcc.co.uk for the large mgcc 90th anniversary large grill badges that's for the earlier cars there's also the smaller grill badges still a few of them around i think for the metros and onwards basically uh, for the newer mgs with the smaller grills a badge for all manner of mgs whatever your model there's a badge for you get them now before they all run out shop.mgcc co.uk also 90th anniversary stickers adam yeah for those of you that weren't fortunate enough to perhaps get a grill badge um or you just want that little bit of extra 90th anniversary merch um one of the new things that has arrived is a is a window sticker so nice and cheap couple of quid job done excellent and we mentioned the whole covid19 stuff earlier on on the podcast and we have had some calls to provide face masks but we don't need to do that because we have our mg car club bandanas which have well multiple uses basically and they're still in stock we've got a number of designs that you can choose from in the shop at the moment and these bandanas basically make really handy face masks i much prefer them to your usual face masks mainly because they properly cover like the nose also you don't end up inhaling them like i do those freebie face masks that you have to put on and also it's really good because they are reusable and they're just they're just nicer i like to hold have mine like kept around my neck 
so that uh, I don't forget it, basically. It's always sort of around my neck, and you sort of hide it underneath the collar of your shirt or whatever. Uh, very, very handy indeed. And they're still in stock at the MG Car Club shop, and new colours in stock as well. Two different colour designs, especially for the 90th anniversary, just 13 quid. And there's the British Racing green ones and the red ones that have been in stock for some time. Uh, they sold out briefly, but they're all stocked up again now for £12.50. So find them at shop.mgcc.co.uk. Just search bandana and you can use them as your mg car club face masks much better than those sort of clip-on-y things uh, or use them as they were originally intended adam a little while ago we mentioned a book called the picture story of world sports cars by stuart yes. seager do you remember talking about that yeah yeah, yeah and yeah. i said on the podcast at the time that uh, i'd found it for sale and i'd ordered it on amazon and basically it arrived i have it here Ooh. And uh, it's fantastic. So what I'll be doing is there's some very, very nice stories about uh, MG in there. And in particular about Triple M's as well. There's all sorts of pre-war nuggets of information in this book. So uh, over the coming weeks, I'll go through it and find out if I can uh, share some nice little stories from this book with you. And some brilliant photographs in there as well. It's a period book, one of the first pictorial history books of the British sports car as we covered on a previous episode of the MG Car Club podcast, and I found mine just a paltry five quid off of Amazon, and I'm so pleased with it, and it's got that that old book smell, you know, that kind of musty smell? Yeah, 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 nice, oh, nice. It's lovely, you can sniff that all day. Better than, <laughs> better than anything illegal, I say. So there we are, released in the 1960s, this book is a fantastic little gem. So uh, I've got mine, I'll be going through that in the coming weeks and picking out some stories for you, Adam. Fantastic, I look forward to hearing those, mate. Marvellous. If you want to get in touch with us, please do. Remember, this is your MG Car Club podcast. We're just here to facilitate it for you, so get in touch. mgpodcast.uk is the web address you can find all of our previous episodes online there and also our contact form to get in touch with the show and leave your messages for us it'd be lovely to hear from you so until next time cheerio from me subscribe to receive new episodes of the mg car club podcast at mgpodcast.uk